0: You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone. Everybody excited about a Labor Day weekend? <laughs> Me too. Um, as I was thinking about today, uh, it occurred to me early this morning that my family and I have been here just right at the end of 1980, we came. And it, is, it has been our privilege to be a part of this church, a part of this community. Uh, we have had stellar pastors uh, and uh, preachers of the word, and uh, it's a privilege for me to bring the word to you today. So as we begin this message and you see the title that we're working with, Our Work, God's Kingdom, I want you to think about your work. Even if you're retired, you have work. You may have grandkids, you may have friends, you may have community involvement. I want you to think about what you do with your life other than when you're asleep. Because 60% of that non-sleep time often goes, usually goes to work. So think about that. And think about what God might do in your life as a believer when you're at work. So as I mentioned, and as you can see, our title is uh, Our Work, God's Kingdom. When people think of that particular title or concept, they think of certain verses, Genesis and others, creation, the fall, the curse, etc. And we here at Third have heard that Uh, from time to time because our pastor will preach on that. So I'm assuming you know those texts or at least the concepts of those. I want to begin our time today with a text out of Romans. And you won't have this on the screen. I didn't give this slide because I wanted to read it myself. However, I need to put my glasses on or I won't be able to see any of it. Listen to the text. Paul is writing to the church at Rome. He says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. You see, what Paul knows, and he's bringing forward from Genesis, is that everything's been affected by the fall. When sin entered the world, when, when Adam and Eve determined to be their own gods, and it's affected everything since then, creation included. Take, take, for example, Adam in the garden, right? There was a wind that was to have cooled his brow as he worked the garden. Now, it becomes hurricanes and kills people. It's Just one of many examples of the effect and the effects of the fall. Relationships have been impacted, including those closest to us, due to our sinful thoughts, attitudes, and actions. So wherever we are, including work, that needs to be redeemed. And there's only one Redeemer. I want to read to you from a, a, a quote from the Word in Life Study Bible, which was published in 1996 by Thomas Nelson Publishers. In my opinion, the best study Bible to date with regard to practical application of daily life. Sadly, it's out of print, but you might be able to find it online. Listen to these words about work workplace stresses and pressures, the daily grind, office politics disappointments, setbacks, catastrophes, deception, injustice. There is no end to the evils connected with work, but work itself is not evil. Far from calling it a curse, the Bible calls work and its fruit a gift from God. Ecclesiastes 3 and 5. So with this in mind, and with what we know work has become, I want to use th- three stories and two additional texts to explain to you our work and God's kingdom. So I want to begin with a gentleman by the name of Dave. And by the, by the way, all three of these men have given me their permission to use all this information, some of which I thought a little bit too sensitive and I'm not using. Needle's Eye has approximately 60 small groups. That's one of our major outreaches: small group ministry. 15 of which we call CPGs or Christian Presidents Groups. One of those, um, one we call the Executive Dialogue, is for mid to large corporate presidents and CEOs. In the early teens, I invited Corey and Percy Strickland of CHAT to this group's monthly meeting. I wanted these corporate and community leaders to hear some of the needs in and what was happening around our community of Metro Richmond. For some of the group members, and I think there were about 10 of them present at that time, much of this information was new. One of the many needs uh, and issues and opportunities that they shared that were occurring in the community was a need for small micro business loans to help the people in the inner city. About a week or so later, Dave, a CEO of a local bank, Call Percy to share an idea. He'd been moved by Percy's words regarding the underserved members of our community not being able to acquire loans they needed. Today, that was fair. Uh, That was unfair, and it wasn't equitable. Without any fanfare, he told Percy that he would like to provide micro-loan capability for his community. In Dave's mind, but unknown to Percy, about $150,000 would be needed as an investment. And while his bank would perhaps administrate the support of the loans, they would not be able to fund them. Therefore, Dave was going to put up the investment personally and with the probability of recruiting two or three other investors should the demand warrant. Dave's offer never came to fruition because another entity had entered the picture and was in a first position. But I want you to consider the heart of this executive and the care and the concern for the disenfranchised in our community. For me, Matthew 25 immediately comes to mind. And I want you to consider how perhaps other people in positions like Dave who knew Christ could really have an impact, a phenomenal impact, quietly or otherwise in our community. So now I wanna move to the first of two additional texts. This is Titus. How many of you read Titus this morning in your daily devotionals? We don't often read Titus, but I will tell you this, it is one of the richest books. It's about a missionary on the island of Crete by the name of Titus. Paul is working with him. He is, Paul is his mentor. Crete is a really hard place. Titus even talks about how bad the people are. And Paul's telling Timothy, look, guys, you need to get it together. And What I want you to see here, listen to what I'm saying before you read the text. At any one time in the Roman Empire in the first century, about 50% of its population was in some form of servitude. This is not about what Paul thought about slaves. This text is about slaves and slave owners or workers and management. If you want to know what Paul thought about slavery, read Philemon or 1 Timothy 1.10. This is about people who were workers and people who managed those workers. Interestingly, in Crete, they were all in the same church, so there were some issues. So the text says, Paul says to Titus, teach the slaves to be subject to their masters and everything. Now listen, think in terms of business acumen here. To try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. Five points. Why? So that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. What he is telling Titus to tell those guys and gals about their work. He's saying five practical points, respect authority, do good work, be honest, dependable, help conflicts not to occur so that it will make the gospel attractive. What he's saying is your work is a phenomenal witness for the kingdom. Second slide, please. The word Attractive in Titus is kosmosin in the Greek. It's, uh, scholars would say that word defines attractive in the sense of a beautiful gem and how people are attractive to it, attracted to it. Perhaps as you went to buy your wife's wedding ring and you bought a stone first, and the gemologist put it on a dark piece of cloth, right? Just sparkle. Attractive. I want you to keep that in mind as we go along. So let me share another story with you. And this story is um, about someone who is living this fact, in my, opi- in my opinion, of cosmosism. Jonathan Cotton, many of you have heard of the Good Feet store, that is he. And he did buy the, he did buy the store. Uh, Grilled him on that a couple times, and you've heard that as well. The Goodfeet store is committed to the communities in which they reside. They now have about eight stores, and I think they've gone outside of Virginia. A Christian since age 15, Jonathan recalls that he's read over 25 Old Testament references to God's people caring for widows, orphans, and the disenfranchised. The Goodfeet store has been heavily involved with Jobs for Life, as we have. Giving graduates, they all that come through that and graduate, an arch support system and shoes. They participate in Jobs for Life in jail settings. And Jonathan actually teaches one of the segments of a course that is held at the Calhoun Center right in the heart of Gilpin Court. And there is where his employees sign up to be mentors. One of the most significant of many community involvements that the Good Feet Store has is TAPS, tragedy assistance program for survivors. During the summer, they partner up with the Flying Squirrels and they sponsor military appreciation nights. This year, 88 families were the guests of the Good Feet Store. And throughout the game, they saw their loved one's name on the back of the jerseys because the players had the name, at new jerseys for this game. And at the end of the game, they were all presented with their loved one's jersey and name. On a promotional piece that highlighted the Good Feet store's exceptional employee customer care philosophy, Jonathan was quoted as saying, quote, helping individuals who are suffering physically, emotionally, and spiritually, physically, emotionally, and spiritually is at the core of why I love my job. Thank you to his clients for your support of our products, excuse me, business, and our mission. Jonathan Cotton came to Christ at age 15. He was frustrated for years, and he says this, because I wanted to be a minister and I felt incredibly frustrated, worried about how God may have taken that. Now, as a business owner, I am. But you don't have to just be a business owner. It's not, not at all necessary. We're talking work of all the spectrums. Let me tell you about George. By his own admission, George grew up with a silver spoon in his mouth. He went to St. Christopher's and then an expensive New England prep school. He attended an all male college and he flunked out. Following a stint in the Marine Corps, he achieved his BS, got married, and began his career with the motto He who dies with the most toys wins. That used to be my motto many years ago, thankfully. Wealth, status, and personal happiness were his drivers. Jealousy became a companion regularly as he regularly compared himself to those he knew who appeared to have more than he did. He got a divorce, bought a manufacturing company, and in three years, tripled the revenue. He also married a daughter of one of the previous owners, 13 years his younger, his junior. The economy took a nosedive in 2008, and he had to sell the business at a huge loss. However, with his motto still intact, he mortgaged his house to the hilt, and invested in a national real estate company whose portfolio was made up of good revenue-producing products and properties. Things went well for about four years until the company was dissolved for real estate fraud. This resulted in having to sell his house, now having lost nearly $4 million, and asking, why me, Lord? George joined a needle's eye small group and he started on a new path. However, things were incredibly tense at home. And when he seriously considered taking his own life, he was taken to a mental detention hospital. When he was about to be released from that hospital, his wife came and told him that he was not coming home. So George left the hospital homeless and without a job. Soon thereafter, a brand new member of his small group, he'd been in a group, this guy had been to the group maybe twice or so, invited George to come and live with him and his wife until he could get on his feet. That arrangement lasted nearly a year. Not long thereafter, God led George to become a certified school bus driver. He has been working in that capacity now for six years. He recently told me, buddy, this is my ministry. I try to learn every student's name, care for them and keep in mind the words of St. Francis who said, quote, preach the gospel always and when necessary use words. God has, this is a quote, God has blessed me in this job I was even paid during the pandemic when I didn't have to drive. George currently has an offer from another school district to drive for them. It involves a signing bonus and increased pay. And he could use the money, but he's not going to accept the new offer. They under the new offer. He's staying with his kids. This is his ministry. George would tell you that his perspective on life would never be what it is today had he not gone what he went through before. His motto now, rather than he who dies with the most toys wins, is, I was greedy and lost it all. I have found God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and I am so much richer today. Thanks, Lord. End quote. So, Today, we've heard about three people. A CEO of a mid-sized bank who was led to care for the disenfranchised by quietly, without fanfare, offering to put his personal resources on the line because Jesus had put his life on the cross for him. A business owner who, along with his employees, cares for the unemployed, incarcerated, and military widows and orphans. He truly sees this as his ministry and it is truly affecting our community and its culture. But you don't have to be a business owner to do that because we've heard of a third person, a driven well-heeled and well-connected business owner who due to wrong motives and greed lost it all and is now thankful and excited about God using him in a much different environment, to care for and model God's values and love to kids in perhaps the most impressionable period of their lives. So let me take us to our final text, probably one which we, most of us wouldn't think of with regard to work. Could I see that? Thank you. So I wanna give you the context for this. John, Apostle John, only one that wasn't martyred for his faith is an old man. Roman Empire got tired of listening to him and put him on Patmos. He's having this vision and he's writing it down, which becomes the revelation. This is Revelation 21. What he's seeing now is the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, it's coming down from heaven, right? How do you put that on paper? I don't think my language has the words to describe it. How do you do that? So he says, I saw a new heaven and earth. The first heaven and the first earth, first, first earth had passed away. No longer any sea. I saw the holy city. You could see him getting emotional, excited. I mean, who wouldn't be? The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. First century, that's about as pretty as it got. That's what he used to describe the new heavens and the new earth. Would you put the next slide up, please? Guess what the word for beautifully dressed is? Why do you think? Because that word is used to describe the most impactful thing that people can see with regard to how God may use them or may be used to affect other people or to display some of the most beautiful scenes and attractions in our lives. Beautifully dressed, Titus 2.10, so that God will make the gospel of our Lord attractive. What this is saying, what I see here in, in God's word at the end of it is, That word was used 30 years earlier, roughly, to tell a group on a hard island, do work well because it'll bring people to me and it will change the culture. That's what happened. So when you go to work Tuesday or whenever, or when you're working in your home caring for your kids, pouring into them things that they, ne- they will need to learn when they get to be our age or whatever job you do. Remember, God made us all, formed us in our mother's womb, knew us beforehand, gave us the gifts that we have. Why? I don't think he did that for us to build our own portfolios exclusively or in first position. When we come to Christ, We signed the deed of trust over, right? We're only here for a short time now. We know where we're going. John knew where he was going. He couldn't explain it. It was so incredible. So now we're his here to affect the here for the kingdom. First. So if we can get our heads around that, I think we'll be where God wants us to be. If the church of Jesus Christ can get its head around that, our culture, pick the country, will change. And I would argue vehemently, nothing else can change it. Because to change culture, you have to change lives. There is only one life changer. Two weeks ago, Jim Singleton uh, from Gordon-Conwell preached here and he, he talked about the blind man who needed a second touch. He didn't need a second touch because Jesus was weak. He needed a second touch because his life had to have a second touch. My question is this for all of us today. Is it possible the way that you view your work and what you do nine to five Monday through Friday or whenever you do it needs a kingdom second touch. Be honest with God. Ask Him. Or maybe you don't even need to. But if you'll let Him, He will change the part that you live in of the world for His glory. Would you pray with me? Lord, You have given us so many hours, days, months, years decades. You know, you know when they'll all end. But from the time that you, Jesus, became ruling in their lives, you have claim to it because you made it, and you're going to give us the rest of eternity to be with you. Help us to get a grasp on how you would use us now for the sole purpose of bringing the kingdom and the king to this world that we live in. And we thank you, and we pray it in your name. Amen.